Your computer doesn't just have one kind of memory. It actually has so many different kinds. Today we're going to get into how they interact with each other and what they all mean. Welcome to Copec Explain Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible. This week, we're going to talk about the memory hierarchy. But before we dive into that, we need to lay the groundwork and talk about the different aspects of memory. So let's start the most basic aspect. What is memory? My definition of memory is that memory is storage for data or instructions. So there's really two different kinds of things that your computer holds. Your data, like your files, your photos, your videos the information that your computer needs to operate and to display interesting things to you. And then you also have the programs. The programs are telling the computer how to use that data. And so that's what I mean by instructions. So we have to hold the programs and the data that the programs use in some place. And we call that place memory. When we're thinking about memory, there's a few different ways that we think about it and think and how we're going to access it. Right. So let me give you a few different criteria that we might use to consider the different kinds of memory. One of them is capacity. That's just how much stuff can you hold. So the more your capacity, the more you can hold. The next is latency. That's how long does it take to access this kind of memory? So I make a request. There's some data I want from this memory. How long does it take till I get that data back? That's latency. And then the last thing is permanence. And what I mean by permanence, is this long-term storage or is this short-term storage? You know, if you think about the human brain, we actually have quite limited short-term storage. Studies show that we can only remember about seven digits at a time. That's why local phone numbers are seven digits. Computers have a lot more short-term storage than that, but they usually have a lot more long-term storage than they have short-term storage. And when we talk about short-term storage with computers, we're talking about storage that's going to go away when the computer is shut down. So if something is truly permanent, after I turn the computer off, it's still going to be there. But a lot of the different type of memory we're going to talk about today don't have permanence. They go away every time the power gets cut. You can't have a computer without memory. Right. Memory is one of the essential components that you need to have a real computer. So Alan Turing, who's oftentimes considered the father of computer science, he created a theoretical model of what a computer is, and we call that a Turing machine. And one of those essential parts of a Turing machine that every computer must have to actually be able to do computation is memory. All right, so we have capacity, latency, and permanence, and that's going to help us determine the hierarchy of memory. Right, so there's these different kinds of memory inside your computer, and when we as programmers or the machine, when it's doing some automatic work, decides what kind of memory it's going to use or we're going to choose to use for our programs, we're going to make that determination based on these criteria. And so we have memory that goes all the way from being very, very small in capacity but very, very fast to access, so very, very low in latency, to memory that is huge in capacity. We just have tons of it. We have so much of it, we don't even know what to do with it sometimes, but it takes a long time to access. How do you make the decision of where something should be? Well, when the program is running, we often want to have access to the data as quickly as possible. So a lot of what a computer is actually doing is transferring information from one part of memory to another part of memory or from one type of memory to another type of memory. For example, one of your programs will originally be on disk, which is the slowest kind of memory that we're going to talk about. And it's starting out on disk 
and it's going to then be running live. And so we want to transfer it to one of the faster kinds of memory so that as it's running, it can be accessed as quickly as possible. But then when the program is done, it's going to leave that faster memory and go back to just living on disk until the next time that we need it because we don't want to be using up that limited capacity in that faster memory when we could be using it for something else when we're no longer running the program. This makes me think of the concept of working memory where when you're as when we're as people working through a problem or doing something that we're what we're holding, you know, right in right in the top of our brain. Like for example, if we're doing a math problem, we're going to hold those calcul some of the calculations in our mind as we're going through that. But on a day-to-day basis, we're not might not be thinking, "Oh, how do I solve this equation?" We pull it up in some ways. Yeah, I think the human mind is a good analogy. Sometimes I forget a word. It actually happens to me a lot. I forget some specific word, and it takes me a while to kind of access my long-term storage and remember what that word is. But if somebody had said that word really recently, I'm much more likely to remember it. And so something that's in our active state of use is going to be a lot faster to access in the human mind, just as it is in a computer. All right, so let's talk about these different types of memory. Um, And let's start with the slowest and largest. Yeah, so the slowest and largest is what we call disk. Now, there are multiple different kinds of disk. There is traditional hard drives, which actually had spinning disks that were literally did physical movement. There was a, a magnetic element and a head that had to move on that magnetic element to find the next piece of data that you wanted. It was physical. It moved around. I mean, all of these are physical, but it was, it was physical in that it moved. And traditional hard drives are relatively slow compared to what most disks are today, which is solid-state disks. Solid-state disks have no moving parts. Either way, this is our largest capacity. And as you know, if you go and purchase a new computer, you usually can get a disk today that's in the terabytes. And we talked about in a previous episode what a terabyte is. That previous episode was what is a byte, and I'll link to it in the show notes if you're not familiar with the terms terabyte, gigabyte, etc. But a terabyte is a trillion bytes, which is hard to even think about. It's such a large capacity for us, us to imagine. But anyway, so disk is where we have the most storage but it's where we have the highest latency. In other words, it's the longest to access. And there are also portable disks too, right? We all have USB flash drives that we use for transferring data from one computer to another. If we were talking on the show 10 years ago, we'd be talking about DVDs or we'd be talking about CD-ROMs or something like that, which are optical media that gives us give us portable disk storage. But that's even slower. Those portable mechanisms, USB drives, Um, DVDs, those are going to be slower to access than a modern solid-state drive that comes with most computers you would buy today. But it's still much slower, even a solid-state drive, than all the other kinds of memory that we're going to talk about. But what a thing a solid-state drive has going for it is its permanence. Right. A solid-state drive, a hard drive, any of these portable storage media that we're talking about, they do not require electricity to hold on to the thing that they're storing. So the power can be taken down on your computer, and your hard drive, your solid-state drive, is still going to have all that data the next time that you turn it on. So what's next after the hard drive or the hard disk? So then we have random access memory, RAM for short. And this is the mainstay of memory. This is the, the largest as your program is running memory. And a typical modern computer is going to have this in the gigabytes. So 
For example, the computer we're recording this on has 16 gigabytes of RAM. Most computers you buy today are going to have somewhere between 8 and 64 gigabytes of RAM. Um, so that's quite a bit of capacity. In fact, that's larger than hard drives were just 20 years ago. <laughs> so, you know, we're getting, of course, more and more as uh, transistors shrink over time. We're getting more and more of all of these capacities but it's still not as fast as some of the other types of memory that we're going to talk about. It takes usually hundreds of nanoseconds to access RAM. Now, a nanosecond is a billionth of a second. That might sound to you pretty fast, but actually we're going to talk about memory that's quite a bit faster than that. And when we were talking about disk, disk can take hundreds of milliseconds to access sometimes. Milliseconds are thousandths of a second. So accessing RAM is orders of magnitude faster than accessing disk. That's why we want to move our programs and our data from our disk into our RAM as we're actually using the program or the data. So from RAM, then we have the CPU. Right. Then we have the CPU, and the CPU is a central processing unit. It's your microprocessor. It has actually multiple different kinds of memory embedded in its package. And we'll talk about two main different kinds. What are those two kinds? So one is the registers. And I'm actually going to start from the opposite direction now with the fastest because it's the easiest to think about. The registers are bits of memory that are right there where the microprocessor does its calculations. So generally, it's going to be taking data out of one of the registers. And the registers are very small. On a modern microprocessor, they're typically 64-bit or 8 bytes, or you could say 64 ones and zeros for each of them. The registers contain the data that's used for making calculations. So they can instantly access it. They can access the registers as fast as they can do anything, basically, the microprocessor. So, you know, if a microprocessor is operating at, um, let's say, multi-gigahertz, it's accessing these registers in just a couple nanoseconds. Registers are the lowest level. Registers are the closest to actual calculation, right? We could think about that as the lowest level, the absolute fastest, but the absolute least amount of actual capacity. Because we might have, let's say, 10 registers on a CPU, and each of those can only hold 8 bytes. So we have a total of maybe 80 bytes of room to work with in CPU registers. So we really don't have a lot there. But the microprocessor does have another set of levels of memory in the hierarchy, and we call those caches. And so they're called the CPU cache, and there's a level 1 CPU cache, a level 2 CPU cache, a level 3 CPU cache. Basically, as you go up levels, you get a little bit slower, but usually get to a little bit bigger capacity. So we, the level 1 cache might be measured in a few kilobytes, the level 2 in hundreds of kilobytes, the level 3 in megabytes. And these are getting further and further away from being right there where we're doing calculation like the registers are and closer and closer to being more like the RAM, but they're still a lot faster than the RAM. So we're still going to be talking in tens of nanoseconds, maybe hundreds of nanoseconds, depending on how old our computer is, to access these CPU caches. And so what we really would like is that we have a program that's small enough that its data can actually fit in these CPU caches. So we can actually process all that data and access it as we're processing more quickly than we could if it was still in RAM. So all the time, the CPU is transferring and the memory controller is transferring information from the RAM into the CPU caches. The CPU is constantly requesting information to put into its registers so that it can do calculations. And sometimes it's done with some information. Some information hasn't been used for a long time. We sometimes call that an LRU cache. 
least recently used is what we get rid of. Um, and we're replacing it with stuff that we are going to need to use soon. But so you can just think about it that we have this hierarchy where we're starting out with our data and our programs on disk. We're moving them into RAM. Then we're moving them into the CPU cache. And then we're moving them into the registers. So we're kind of going from slowest to faster to fastest. And as we're making those calculations, sometimes we're not going to need to use something for a long time. And some of that data is getting replaced. So data is constantly moving up and down this hierarchy. The CPU and both the cache and the registers have the least permanence. Yes, they're constantly being replaced. So there's stuff in the CPU registers one minute and not one minute, we're talking one nanosecond really. And a few nanoseconds later with a new instruction that comes in, we're replacing some of the stuff in the registers with new data that we need for doing different types of calculations. But other pieces of hardware in the computer have their own memory. That's right. So this can be confusing to people, but actually there can be a whole nother set of memory hierarchies going on in other components of a standard computer. For example, if you have a discrete graphics processor, a GPU, something made by NVIDIA or AMD, it's going to have its whole own set of RAM and it's going to have its whole own set of caches and it even has its own registers too. And so it's actually going, it's almost like its whole own computer, really. And it's going and doing things completely independently of this memory hierarchy that's happening in the main part of your computer. So data needs to be constantly transferred, actually, from one hierarchy to the other. So you're saying, well, you know, I have all this data that's going to make up the meshes that are in this 3D game. And there actually has to be a point where that data gets transferred, maybe first from disk, then over to central RAM, and then over to the GPU's RAM as the program is executing. And that those transfers can actually be somewhat expensive, but the reason we want to have these separate hierarchies is then once we have that data all in the GPU, the GPU can access it really quickly in its own set of memory rather than having to make the round trip back and forth to main memory. When you say expensive, you mean expensive in time? Expensive in time, absolutely. And in fact, also expensive in terms of capacity. So when you want to go and you buy a new GPU, one of the criteria you might look at is how many gigabytes of memory does the GPU have? And the more money you're willing to pay, the more gigabytes you'll get. And that just means that your GPU is going to be able to hold more textures, more uh, information about how it, the 3D models that it draws are actually represented so that it can uh, not have to go to disk or to main memory as much to get new textures and, and new uh, data. What are some other parts of hardware that might have their own memory? Almost every hardware device might have at least a small amount of memory. For example, um, even a network card is usually going to have some kind of buffer, some kind of small cache, so that it can hold on to some new data that's come in before the program controlling it is necessarily going to have time to actually process everything that's come in recently. So a lot of hardware devices are going to have at least a small amount of memory right on them. Some hardware devices have their whole own computer. So we think about something like a printer. A printer is going to have its own microprocessor, its own set of RAM. Um, it's going to have, a, it's basically a whole independent computer that's being communicated with from your computer. But a lot of the internal components of your machine will also have small bits of memory like the network card. So as a consumer, what's important for someone to know about the memory hierarchy like when they're looking at the computer that they're going to buy? Well, generally, you want to look at capacity because over time, the standards improve 
for, let's say, how RAM is accessed by the CPU. There's different standards over time. You might have heard of things like DDR2, DDR3, et cetera, et cetera. But you as a consumer, if you're the more recently you're buying a computer, the more modern um, standards and buses and protocols memory and the CPU are using together for access time. So you're probably not going to get that technical. You're mostly probably just going to be looking at capacity. And so you ideally want a machine with as high a capacity of RAM and disk as possible. The only thing you still need to be careful about beyond capacity is with hard drives, Unfortunately, there still are some computers being sold with older spinning disk hard drives instead of solid state drives. And in fact, the performance difference between those older spinning disks and modern solid state drives can also be an order of magnitude. I do not recommend anyone listening still buy a computer today that uses a spinning hard drive. Make sure it has an SSD built in. So that's the memory hierarchy. Yeah, I think that's enough about it for everyone to have at least a sense The one thing I really want everyone to take away from this is that there's not just one kind of memory and that your computer is all the time moving data around from one type of memory to another. All right. Well, thanks for listening to us this week. Rebecca, how can people get in touch with us on Twitter? We're at Kopec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S. And if you want more episodes like this, don't forget to subscribe or follow us on your podcast player of choice. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.